Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's bonus episode for iCast Fireball called Commune with Dungeon Master. Spooky. We do have uh, two Dungeon Masters here from their respective podcasts. Myself, I'm Thomas, the DM for iCast Fireball, and I'm joined by... Ned, and I'm the GM for Improv Tabletop, and I do play Dungeons & Dragons as well, actually. Those who uh, listen to Improv Tabletop might think I don't, but surprise, I actually do. Yes, uh, Ned has had probably more experience playing Dungeons & Dragons than I have, despite him currently being off in other TTRPGs, which are super fun. Just want to shout out, of course, Improv Tabletop. Go check them out if you haven't because they're delightful and they have a lot going on in their Patreon as well for bonus content. So Early plug section? What is this? What? <laughs> uh, we might be shaking things up here. Mm-hmm. Um, but this week we want to talk about one of the questions that uh, was sent into us about Dungeon Mastering in particular. This is for, and uh, I don't know exactly how to pronounce this first part, but uh ta the number four christ so ta for christ sends us a question what form of storytelling do you find is best suited for ttrpgs they give five examples of different storytelling which we'll go into in a little bit we're gonna hit every single one of them to some degree what type of storytelling do you find is best suited to TTRPGs? And I think before we jump into like what kind of storytelling we feel like is good, uh, I think it's best to acknowledge that storytelling is a pivotal part of tabletop, any tabletop role-playing game, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's Dungeons and Dragons, whether it's Fate Accelerated, Blades in the Dark, Avatar Legends, there is some form of storytelling that we are looking for when we come to the table. Yeah. And in all RPGs, there is a blend of the mechanical and the narrative. And even in a game that is super, super mechanical, like you go and play Gloomhaven, we do that on occasion here at iCast Fireball. We get Mm -hmm. together and play Gloomhaven, which is a very mechanical, very crunchy board game. But even then, it still has a narrative that drives you from scenario to scenario. And in my recent experiences with playing D&D, uh, one of my friends decided that they want to try out a little bit of DMing. And they're like, we'll keep it pretty loosey-goosey. We won't get too formal with it. Basically, we'll just have like a central town. We'll have a quest board, a bulletin board. You can pick up quests and you can go. And there won't really be much of an overarching narrative. We'll just go and fight monsters and it'll be fun. And it mm-hmm. wasn't very long before even the DM was like, actually, this isn't really all that intriguing. Like we as the players, yeah. whenever we'd run into something interesting on one of these little side quests, our initial reaction is, oh my gosh, what's the, the deeper significance behind this? Why is this person here doing this thing in this place? And the DM just being like, oh, shoot, um, they're just kind of there. And mm-hmm. realizing the importance of making sure that even if you are mostly in it for, you know, fighting the monsters and having those combats, having a story really does help just glue things together. Yeah, and uh, I like what you said um, in Gloomhaven, a fantastic board game. There's actually a uh, video game version of it where it's just the board game, but digitally. So you don't have to spend 40 minutes setting the game up and 40 minutes taking it down. And it reminds you how all the rules work, which is very nice. Exactly. You don't have to memorize the entirely new mechanic system anyway. But that is a very light, quote unquote, light storytelling tabletop board game. Because as you said, 
all the story all the story does is move you from one encounter to the next right and it might inform you on which encounter you can choose next because there is that choice but there isn't enough variability or, or freedom to be able to just say oh i'm gonna just forget all of these quests and go on my own right uh so i mean that's definitely a viable element of storytelling in Dungeons and Dragons themselves, as Ned just said. In fact, there's a beginner box. Um, it's the, oh, it's the second beginner box that came out. Um, the Essentials Kit? Fandolin. It's the Essentials Kit that was published by Wizards of the Coast for D&D 5e. They do that. They do what Ned just said. You end up in the town of Fandolin, and then there is a bulletin board with those um, jobs for you to do. And, and maybe that's the campaign you're talking about, Ned. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a homebrewed one. In uh, the Essentials Kit, the, the adventure there being the Dragon of Ice Spire Peak, I believe is what it's called. There is, mm-hmm. even though you are doing all of these individual jobs here and there, there is a central theme that ties them all together. Whenever you come back into town, there's new stuff to discover and you start to find all the little ways in which the dragon who's on top of Ice Spire Peak is in some way connected to the weird goings on that are happening around Fandolin. Correct, but you know, that's sort of a very fetch quest, fairly basic storytelling structure. Mm -hmm. And I I found a lot with these uh, adventures as they're written, there is a lot of there can be a big danger of what Ned just described of, oh, this very interesting thing just popped up to our, our party. Why are they there? And then the adventure doesn't describe it or it just says they're there because they're getting cabbages and that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that could be quite a letdown for the players there who are maybe looking for a more advanced or more intriguing storytelling deep dive. But that's that's sort of like the basics of, uh, that's sort of like the light version of storytelling, a very railroady storytelling where you go from point A to point B to point C. Maybe your focus for your part, for your party is more combat based. And that's all they really care about are the mechanics. And they just need a vessel to get them to the encounters, which will allow them to use their abilities right? Mm -hmm. A very viable way. And in fact, I have a a good friend who really enjoys railroaded campaigns, actually, because they feel that if it's pre-generated or if it's coming from the DM, that the story's already written in place and they don't want to mess it up. And even though I've described to them that they aren't going to mess it up because it's it changes as they react, they're like, nope, I, I just want to be told what to do, where to do it, and how to do it as well, and then just use my special abilities going along. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of like the storytelling aspect that is the less intensive storytelling aspect which can be really helpful for beginning DMs. A lot of what the specifics that we'll probably be getting into later on this episode will lean towards maybe what you might call more advanced DMing techniques. But I think there is, you know, a progression that comes from being a beginner DM to an intermediate DM to an advanced DM, where if you're just starting out, you know, just start with that straightforward adventure. And then as you start to move along, start to find the ways in which you can branch out a little bit, make things a bit more inclusive and interactive like respond to your players more instead of just like sticking exactly to the script. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I will say that like there are some um, party members or there will be some players or groups who be like, we just want a railroaded campaign and we're fine with that. And you know what? They may want that. But I've had people who have said that. And then when I've teased them certain specific story beats or things to them, they're like, oh, what is that? It, it 
it's a it's a beautiful way to unlock a new ability for the player themselves that they didn't know was a possibility or that they didn't know they had because there is that investment in there so moving from beginner storytelling dm tips and tricks or rather skill level to an intermediate storytelling devices that is one very big way to where you can maybe start pulling your players and uplifting them to enjoy their experience in different ways than they had before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this is maybe a good sort of transition into discussing the different types of storytelling that were presented to us in this question initially. Yeah. Uh, the specific examples that are mentioned are plot-driven storytelling, a good example being Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey. Uh, I also really like Dan Harmon's Story Circle. Uh, Dan Harmon's the guy who created Community and Rick and Morty, and every mm -hmm. episode he goes through this story circle, which I guess if you're not familiar with the Hero's Journey, it's uh, like 14 different steps of this is the journey that you often see uh, Joseph Campbell looked at stories throughout history and noticed that there was often this pattern of you have this person who starts out normal, they want something, they leave what's comfortable to go and get it, they go through these ordeals, they change and eventually return back home having grown from their experiences. Mm -hmm. So that is the first one that is mentioned here. The second one is character-driven storytelling. The third type is twist-driven storytelling. Uh, the example that was presented to us is the Midnight Diner Tokyo Stories series, which I have not personally seen. Something mm -hmm. that, if you've been listening to us for a while, you'd know that we're probably very into is Brandon Sanderson. Brandon Sanderson is very <laughs> big on twist-based storytelling. And then the last specific one that they mention is chiasm, which is almost kind of a poetic style literary device where you'll see uh, sort of a mirrored symmetry, a repetition within a piece of uh, literature where starting from the beginning, moving towards the middle, they'll have these beats along the way, and then they kind of reverse those beats going back. So kind of an example of that might be starting a campaign in a caldera full of kobolds and ending a campaign in a caldera full of really powerful dragon wizards, that kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. And so the main thing that I would mention is if we look at the plot-driven idea, the twist-driven idea, the chiasm-driven idea, a lot of those are things that come primarily from the mind of the dungeon master. And when you are starting out your own campaign and you're a beginning DM, it's very exciting to have this story in your mind and to want to see it kind of get played out with these other people acting as the characters in this story. But I find that the most important of these is the character-driven storytelling. And I think when you start to make that mental shift to realizing that the player's investment will be the best thing to help move the story forward. Like what I personally have experienced and what a lot of my players have experienced, something that is very big in improv is the power of collaborative storytelling, where everybody is having an opportunity to share their own storytelling gifts with the broader narrative. And when you're the DM, you have control over so many aspects of the campaign. You get to control all the NPCs. You get to control the broader narrative arc. You get to control like every little minute detail if you want to. But the only things that your players have control over is their own character. So if you want to give them an opportunity to really be a collaborator in this broader story, making sure that the story is focused primarily on their characters that is what is going to be, at least in my experience, the most satisfying way of going about it. And then once you've established the story in the basis of these characters, making sure that they're invested in the story because they know the story is connected to them. Once you have that basis, then you can start bringing in your own plot, your own twists, mm -hmm. your own ways to tie all these disparate characters together into one overarching narrative. Yeah. And I think, um, I really like how you kind of set that up because, um, I really do feel like uh, 
the intermediate uh, storytelling, at least in my personal experience as a dungeon master, uh, is the plot-driven storytelling, right? This is where it's structured like a book and you have predetermined events that are going to happen in the future, right? Mm -hmm. Which if you're running a established module or adventure, these are gonna happen because you are running the adventure as written, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're like, oh, well, they're gonna go here and they're gonna get on the pirate ship and then they're gonna go to the depths of the sea for reasons X, Y, and Z, or whatever the reason may be. That's a very plot-driven storytelling, which is good because it gives the players something to look forward to. It could present them with twists and turns that maybe they weren't uh, seeking, or they could pick up on the twists that might be happening and then prepare for it so that they're ready to react to something. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a lot better than, well, if you're trying to improve in storytelling, this is a lot better than just presenting, you go from point A to point B because of reasons. And then you're going to go from point B to point C because of reasons as well, right? You're giving your players an opportunity to react to the plot-driven storytelling. And then as they do, then you can force the plot to move forward regardless of what the players do. That is a little bit more satisfying than the railroading, but as Ned described, can also feel like the characters don't have that agency that they're contributing to the story as well. And so it might seem exciting at first, but I've had this happen to where I've had players really invested and they feel like they're contributing to the story, but then I'll present something which is a left turn out of nowhere against the grain, really, and against what was being established to where I was essentially rejecting the contributions a player was presenting to the story. And they almost instantly shut down at the table. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, I can feel the energy. I can feel them shut down. Um, what happened? Why did it happen? But at that point, it's too late to go back. You can't retcon because then you feel like you're pandering and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think a good way to avoid running into some of those more railroady sort of situations is making sure that, you know, the stuff that you present the players with is stuff that they've already expressed that their character would be interested in. Like, if you have in the back of your mind, it's like, okay, there's this dwarven citadel somewhere far out there, and, you know, in the initial planning phase, before you'd even, like, brought in your players, it's like, okay, we're going to visit this dwarven citadel at some point, they're going to meet the king, blah, blah, blah. And then one of your players comes up to you and says, well, I'm a dwarf, and I think maybe I'm, like, an exiled prince or something. It's like, okay, that king is now this character's father. And so the thing that you initially had planned is now directly tied to the character and now they have investment to want to follow after the thing that you're going to present them with. And not only that player, but all the other players of the party also have investment because the human that is at the table playing with them, they have a direct connection to the story and they're like, I can help influence the decisions this human or the, this player at the table is going to make based by my own decisions. So it doesn't have to be directly related to them in every single moment in every single part of the campaign. It's just, if there is some character-driven story beat that is pulling at least one player to the story, as long as the party is intact and they have a good relationship, which if you don't, that's probably another episode for us to do right there of how to encourage your players to be a party instead of just disparate characters at the table, mm -hmm. then you that other player will have investment just by being next to them. Right? Yeah. and being in proximity. Yeah, it, it just goes to show you that this hobby becomes so, so much more rewarding and so much more engaging when it is about, you know, 
forget about the fact that you're playing in a fantasy narrative world. Remember the fact that you're sitting down with your friends to play a game and have fun with each other. Yeah. That is the main thing that's going to make sure that your experiences are impactful. The kind of things that you're going to still be talking about years to come, remembering that cool mm-hmm. thing you did around the table that one time. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I tell people that I I do D&D or I do a D&D podcast and some of the uh, older generation um, that played D&D when they first started, um, I actually had somebody tell me the other day, they're like, oh my gosh, I had so many great memories from there. And they started telling me about an encounter and just started laughing. And of course, I was an outside observer. And so it wasn't nearly as humorous to me, but I was able to appreciate because I'm like, I have those moments mm-hmm. with my players or my the people that I've played at the table. There's they're really sort of like that that fellowship that was bonded over those moments that that only existed with you and your party. So, um, but those aren't going to happen if you don't have the storytelling devices crafted to your character choices, yeah. right? That's what's that's what's going to instantly pull your players into the story, contributing to each other, and want to keep playing for months and months and months and years. So if you have a scheduling conflict, this could possibly be a solution <laughs> to uh, getting people from canceling last minute. Yeah, or you could start a podcast and then you have an obligation to make sure you keep playing. Uh, well, you know, that's a tomato potato, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not like we did that for iCast Fireball. Not at all. <laughs> Let's see, we haven't dug a whole ton into twists or chiasm yet. I think this is kind of some basic storytelling stuff as far as like foreshadowing you know you've got the Chekhov's gun principle where if you show a gun on the wall in act one that gun's got to go off in act three kind of thing Mm -hmm. Uh, the best twists I find are those that are telegraphed ahead of time Um, that could be an interesting balance and it's something you have to kind of figure out as you go along of how much information should I give out to make sure that by the time the twist is revealed it makes sense it doesn't come out of left field it's not like wait a second that NPC is actually my brother. What the heck? There's we have no connection. Why has this NPC? I physically asked him about my his family like yeah. last week, and he said nope, no family type of a thing, you know, or you know something like that. Yeah, that this is another thing where focusing on the players a little bit more is really satisfying. Like if you get to the point where you're laying out the breadcrumbs, you're laying out the threads piece by piece, and then suddenly one of your player goes, "Oh my gosh." I think I figured it out and they share it with everybody else and they got it exactly right. Like you might've been thinking, oh, it's going to be so cool when I reveal this to my players. But I personally think it's even more satisfying to see that you've crafted your storytelling in such a good manner that they were able to figure it out for themselves. And now they get to feel like the heroes. Yes, they get to feel like the heroes. They got to figure it out on their own. Uh, And that is, I mean, I really enjoy doing that in movies sometimes Mm -hmm. and surprising my wife that I did it. It makes me feel intelligent, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But, you know, with twists, it is... um, you do bring up a lot of good points uh, and it can be difficult to be like, well, how do I present a twist in D&D without me blatantly going, this is obviously a twist, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like you have to, there definitely is a lot of groundwork that you have to do as a DM and just be aware of. So for instance, if uh, you're DMing pretty straightforward, but then one element of a session you go and then you feel a cold chill it goes over a red banner and it floats in the breeze but that's like the only description you give that whole session that your players are going to point out when you are trying to foreshadow or when you are when you are 
blatantly giving twists, right? Mm. And so it can be a little bit hard and intimidating as a dungeon master and being like, I just feel like all, because this is actually something I struggled with, being like, I just feel like all I do with the twists is uh, I'm telling him exactly what they're asking for, what they need. And then, but then whenever I inject something that could be foreshadowing, they immediately take note of it and they discover it and figure it out within like five minutes, right? Before I even get to the twist. So when it comes to twists, it does take a little bit of groundwork on your part. It does take a little bit of building in my experience of being like, okay, if I want to have to describe a moment where the banner flaps in the breeze before it gets ripped off of the the walls of Rohan and falls by Aragorn, you know, as like a foreshadowing moment of Aragorn saving Rohan, then I need to have other descriptions that I give out through other sessions as well. Mm-hmm. I need to be able to make sure that I'm not just pinpointing the ones that matter or that will be the exact foreshadowing. I need to be able to... De- just take a few moments to describe the smell of a room. You know, like you walk into a room, it's dark, as opposed to as you walk into the room, it's musty and uh, the hint of uh, death wafts into your face type of a thing. Those small descriptions can help and that flavoring can help make the twist more satisfying because the players are now comfortable in a descriptive world where foreshadowing is plentiful. Or in, in a way, right? I don't know if that mm-hmm. made total sense, but yeah. that's just something I've struggled with. Yeah, there's a video gaming term that I can't for the life of me remember. I wish I did, but uh, it, it essentially describes like when you play a video game, there's a lot of like user interface elements that are, you know, they're there because it's a video game and you need to have this information. Mm-hmm. But what if you can take that information and find a way to present it to the player within the world? Like mm-hmm. instead of having just a big old bar at the top of the screen that has your life meter on it and how much ammo you have left, etc., your character has a little watch on their wrist that has like a little pulse line going across. And when it's green, you're healthy. When it's yellow, you're getting pretty hurt when it's red you're really hurting you need to go get some health the more you can present your foreshadowing as a natural part of the world and you know they hear some npcs just kind of casually chatting over there in the corner oh man i heard this crazy thing that happened the other day outside of town somebody got jumped by some kobolds and man what's going on with that that helps it to the foreshadowing to feel more natural yeah and possible plot hooks and you really find out what your players are invested in at that point as well because Mm -hmm. you did a throwaway line and they're like i want to go investigate those kobolds jumping and you're like oh okay sounds good they care about kobolds i wonder if that's part of their character driven backstory etc etc i think one of the last things i'll talk about is um that we haven't talked about in this episode yet but we may have previously when Ned and I did our improv class in college, which we talk about it extensively. And I apologize, listeners, if you're sick of us talking about this. The reason why we talk about it so much is because it was so revolutionary to our minds on what storytelling in general could be. Not necessarily like how to get the gags, how to get the laughs, and how to um, react to something out of nowhere, which are all helpful, but particularly what is the basic elements that we discovered that we felt made a satisfying story? There's a lot of things that could be done. I mean, you can break out the outline or the skeleton of a good story in a million different ways, right? But as we discovered, mm-hmm. I'll just end with this sort of skeleton of what we used extensively and, we, and what I try to implement in iCast Fireball extensively. I'll only do, I think, the six basic steps here, even though we can go much further than that. But the first one is for any story and even an episode, if you'd like, you can break it down this far is you establish a setting that happens every single day. So once upon a time, there's a town called Greenest. 
um, greenest was a bustling trade town. And so that's like the every day that you're establishing. Everything's good, everything's basic. You meet in a tavern and everything is fine. But then you have what's called an inciting moment, something to change the every day. But, but then it was attacked by the cult of the dragon, right? And then that incited change this particular day, change that was stressful or required some different choices to be made of the players than what they normally would have done. Yeah, the phrase that was really helpful for triggering this is until one day. Yes. So yeah, step one is this is what happens every day. Step two, until one day, that's your inciting incident. And if you really wanted to craft a character-driven story, um, I feel like the next uh, phrase really helps. Um, and that phrase is because of that. In storytelling, I actually just watched something today uh, from the creators of South Park where they were talking about how they craft their story episodes. And um, they use essentially similar wording of because of that when they're creating a story, because it drives our main characters that we care about so much to take action to, to try and solve or as a result of the problem that they just encountered. Mm -hmm. If you have something of and then they do meaning and then they run like and then they just go to papa john's it's not as exciting as because the cultists attacked our adventurers stood up and took up the mantle of heroes you know mm -hmm. or or and because of that our heroes ran away you know or you, something to directly to where the characters cannot avoid making a choice based on what had just happened. Yeah, it's a logical following, a logical progression. Something big has happened, and it's not just, and then they do this, and then they do that. It's because this crazy thing happened, they now have the motivation to go and do this thing in response. Yeah, exactly. That's honestly, those three are kind of the crux of like what I'm trying to, what I, we're all trying to accomplish here at iCast Fireball is to make those character-driven choices as a result of our preceding action. Um, once you end a story or an episode, you have, I, what, what's the what's some of the final phrases, Ned, there? I think it was, and until finally. Until finally. So you have a lot of, because of that. So because of that, they decide to fight. Because of that, Langdorosa almost kills Fleeple. Because of that, they have a vendetta against the Cult of the Dragon. Because of that, they go to the Caldera. See, you, you see why how the because of that's are all actions upon actions or reactions upon reactions of each other until finally they destroy Mondath and they eliminate the cult from the Caldera. And so like until finally, blank, and then you usually end a story or a story beat by saying, and ever since then, mm -hmm. whatever. And and ever since then, they formed the Jenks Squad vowing to eradicate the Cult of the Dragon from the Earth. Yeah, you start out with characters who identify a need, they pursue that need, and when they meet that need, they are changed. And that is what helps mm -hmm. them to continue moving forward. And that's the growth that players at the table enjoy. Mm -hmm. That's the growth. That's what gets players to keep coming back, being like, my character started off selfish and now they've learned to love, they've learned to trust, or they've learned they love magic or they love cheese um, mm -hmm. or a uh, potion of de-aging, whatever. You yeah. Know? 
<laughs> things like that. Yeah. And I guess my last thing that I'll share, well, first, I found the term. The term is diegetic game design. Oh, That's what okay. it means when, like, the the interface, the information you're receiving is there part of the world. Um, mm-hmm. But the last thing I'll talk about is we, we've talked about um, different ways in which you can respond to the players, to their contributions. I think that is the number one thing that helps you to become more comfortable as a dungeon master to advance in your skills is your readiness to adapt your story to what the players have done and when you're comfortable doing that moment to moment to moment like it's one thing to be like okay my players did this and now when i sit down to prepare for my next session i'm going to get into my story outline doc and i'm going to change this and this and this but when you get to the point where in the middle of a session your players are like well why is this guy here and you're sitting there thinking well i don't have a reason why he's there but my players have shown that they're interested in this person and why he's here so i'm going to find a reason why it's important that he's here and i'm going to alter my story in that specific beat yeah uh, i i really like calling this the reactive dungeon mastering right so mm-hmm. which seems i mean it seems intuitive to call it that way but reactive in every sense of the word right like reactive to whatever the players are showing interest and um i'm real excited ned and i we've already got plans to talk about reactive dungeon mastering mm-hmm. uh, in a future episode once campaign one is done so um stay tuned for that yes. if you are interested in figuring out how you can just change on a dime to what your players are being interested in mid-session yeah there have been actually a lot of moments during this recording where i've been like I, I want to talk about that but i'm gonna hold off because when we get to that big reactive dming episode that's when it's really gonna hit well listeners this has been commune with dungeon master where we've talked about storytelling uh ta for christ thank you so much for sending us in those um question and those bullet points to kind of go over we really enjoy i mean if there's one thing that i enjoy is dungeon mastering it's storytelling and crafting that and trying to find ways to keep people at the table uh, through um, imaginative storytelling and collaborative storytelling. Ned, as always, thank you for your wonderful insight with your years and years of experience dungeon mastering as well for storytelling. No prob. Thank you for your years and years and years of doing improv before I even started doing improv. (laughs) That's fair. Uh, Listeners, if you like what we're doing, please leave us a five-star review on the podcatcher of your choice. Not only does it boost us um, into knowing that you like what we're doing and get into other people's feeds, but it lets us know that um, we should keep moving forward with these uh, side bonus episodes and just our normal story episodes as well. If you'd like to reach out to us with something a little bit longer than review, we've got our email, iCastFireball2020 at gmail.com and all of our social media pages, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and finally, our patron-exclusive Discord. If you don't know what Patreon is, go to patreon.com slash iCastFireball20 to see the different monthly tiers that we offer that might uh, interest you. We've got some tiers that we will be uh, opening up, hopefully very soon, that might interest a lot of people here. So if you haven't checked it out for a while, go take a look by the end of season one and see what we might be offering that might pique your interest there. Um, Of course, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends and fellow Wacky Adventurers so we can get this podcast out there and set it on fire. We also want to shout out our Improv Tabletop sister podcast, which we've already done. But uh, as we've already done that, I'll just say, go check them out. And don't forget to leave them a five-star review on the way out. But with that, I'm Thomas, your DM. And around the table, I've got Ned. And it's just me. Let's keep that fire going, everybody. And we'll see you all next time.